running out of money because my wife didn't have any money. I didn't have any money. We we borrowed like from my mom, um, like a $25,000 line of credit and we had some savings and we were just like eating it up. And so I hit yeah, this You're starting a family day. and a business at the same time. Yeah, it was it was a bit ambitious. <laughs> Actually, by year two, by year two, uh, the government forced us onto social assistance because because for a family of, of of three, like a couple with a child, and we were living so below the poverty line. Our first year, I only made eighteen grand. We lived so below the poverty line, even at that time in our city, that the government put us on social assistance. Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle where we talk to entrepreneurs about their journey, creating and scaling up their businesses and freelance operations, while also really focusing on some of the mental and emotional challenges along the way. I'm Chris Colbert, the founder and CEO of the podcast and media company, DCP Entertainment, as well as the podcast and video recording space, Podstream Studios, Times Square. In this conversation, I'm talking to Mark Drager. Mark is the founder of the brand strategy company, Phantom Media. And as you heard, Mark went from nearly going bankrupt during those early years of the company to then, after year five, having it all come together. We talk about how that journey showed him how businesses need to be in a constant state of change in order to succeed, the importance of an energized and proactive leader, and probably most importantly, the need to be patient with ourselves as we figure it all out. Thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, I went to school originally. I went to film school. And I went to film school because I liked editing, and and I thought, you know what, I, I live outside of Toronto, Canada. You know, Toronto is is a huge film industry, so there's lots of television, and there's lots of film production, and there's lots of movies going on, lots of things like that. So I went off and did that, and then I realized, oh, this whole like working in TV. I worked in TV for about a year in television as a camera operator and a teleprompter and doing stuff like that, and I didn't like freelance work. I know you mentioned earlier that freelancers are entrepreneurs, and they 100% are. Um, I wasn't ready to be an entrepreneur <laughs> at the age of like 21. In my mind, I was like, I, I don't want to spend 10 years building up a, a freelance career, which is what people told me it would take. So I, uh, I went out and I got a job. I did, uh, I did AV, like, uh, like I was the guy at the hotel where if someone did a conference, I'd be the guy calling up in advance saying like, do you need a, do you need a, um, a projector? This is in 2000, <laughs> this is like 2003, <laughs> a projector back then was like, sometimes people ask for a projector and we'd set it up and they show up and they'd have slides. Do you remember, are you the same oh, age as wow. me when people would have those transparent slides on projectors or things? Like we're like, yep. no, it's a projector you plug into a computer. Like, <laughs> so I'm old, <laughs> but I did that for about a year and didn't enjoy that. And then I got a job uh, at uh, a franchise company and it was an internet marketing franchise. This is in 2005. 2006 an internet marketing franchise. We had 1,500 offices, 90 countries and territories, and I was I was responsible for producing all of their video content, so training content and testimonials and case studies and franchise development marketing and and just CEO presentations, anything that they could push out. On the early days of the internet, I made on video, and I used to shoot on tape and have to digitize it and do all this old stuff. Projectors, tapes, uh, man, you're really bringing us back right now. <laughs> I just, I want to make anyone who who's older than me, like feel really old now. I know I'm like sweating over uh, here right now. I'm like, man, I didn't realize how old I was until this conversation. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm turning 40 next year. So that makes me feel a little, a little midlife crisis <laughs> here. But um, yeah, I mean, essentially there wasn't too much thought when I started Phantom Media other than I spent about a year and a half uh, 
uh, doing this corporate video work for this this company, you know, and I I did it all day every day, and all I did was make videos for them. And I thought, you know, if I could do this for one company and make, you know, I think I was making forty five grand a year at the time, uh, and I could do this for like ten. Theoretically, I could make more, right? Like I could charge more. I could have more clients. I could do more work. I wouldn't do all the stuff I don't want to do. And that was literally the reason we started Phantom Media back in 2006. When I say we, it was it was me. You know, I I approached my CEO of the company, who I had become friends with over the year and a half I was there, and I said, "Let me leave. Let me leave, and don't replace me. Let me take the equipment. Let me take the team member I had, who I was planning to bring, who kind of bailed on me." right before we kicked off, but let me leave and you just outsource all the work to me. And I gave him a whole bunch of reasons why it would make sense for them financially. And he said, yes. Wow. So I started the company uh, with, with just like a used laptop, uh, an old camera, some simple lights. And I left my job. My wife wasn't earning any money because we just had our first daughter. So she was at home. We were young. I was 23 years old. And I set out to start Phantom Media. 15 years later, we're still here. Now, to answer your question, how does one go from being a video company to being a brand strategist? It's what happens over time that you don't even realize. So, so I started making videos. I, made, uh, I started my company. I had to figure out how to sell videos. It turns out when you try to sell something, it's, it's different than when you work for someone else. When you work for someone else, they give you the, the project, they give you the scope, they give you the job, they tell you what to do and you do it. When you start selling to people, you have to figure out what they need, what will help them, how will it help them, how much should it cost, what should the structure be, what, you know, run the business analysis. And so over the years, as, I, as our projects got bigger, as our clients got bigger, as our budgets got bigger, as everything got more complex, every project we would do, I'd have to go through the process of figuring out, like, what do they need? Like, what will work and what won't work and what's important and not important? How much should we spend and how long should it take? And, and you know, you, we were producing a few hundred projects a year. Mm, year that's over year wow. right over out of the year. Gate? No, 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 okay, no. I was about to say, no, we wow, almost went incredible. bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> no, we almost went bankrupt in the first few years, and then the Great Recession happened. It took me five years to figure out what to do and to, and to keep going. But by 2015, 2017, 2018, we're doing big national commercials. We're working with the NBA. We're working with huge uh, uh, companies and small companies. Still, we're. Pro- I have a team of 24 people. We're producing hundreds of projects a year. So by that point, I'm basically a brand strategist. Because at a certain point, you stop trying to just do like to check the boxes. Oh, you need a video. Oh, you want it to say this. Like you stop just taking the order mm-hmm. and you start telling people what they need to do because you become yep. the expert at it time after time after time after time. So no matter what industry you're in and no matter what you do, if you take more and more responsibility and for, for like your clients, for the outcome or what have you, you naturally will become a strategist. There's no way around that. And, and that's what happened to me. And I feel like one of the things that you kind of touched on through that is a lot of times people don't know what they need. And so because you're an expert in this field, you're able to help to, to you know, help them figure that out. But I think a lot of times people will, will tell you, okay, I need X, Y, and Z. I need someone to help me create video for my company. But what they're really saying is I need someone to help us to strategize how best to position our company to get more clients. That was the real question. They didn't really need video. Video is just how they felt like they were going to get that return. And so the more you work with clients, the more you're in these positions, the more you're able to actually let them know what they're really asking and hopefully deliver on that. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've touched on the core component to all business growth. 
which is people will always come to you with their own words and their limited view, and they'll ask for something. And it's usually a tactic, right? I need a website. Anyone who does website development and stuff, they can, they can answer the question, you need a website? I'll give you a website. But the real opportunity is like, why do you need a website? What are you hoping it'll accomplish for you? How is it going to drive your business? How is it going to grow your business? Is this a good use of spend? Should you actually not be dumping this much time and money into a website, but actually be looking at maybe a landing page or, or, or a funnel strategy? Or yep. maybe not even that. Maybe you should actually just not spend however much time and money on the website because what you have is kind of okay. And you should actually go do corporate sponsorship or go to a live event or go network. Like, like out of everything that one could do, if all you do is build websites, then of course, when someone comes to you for a website, you're going to say, oh, <laughs> I can make you a website. <laughs> but if you take a step back and go like, hold on, what do you want this to do for you? And what are your goals? And who are we speaking to? And what are their motivations? And how are they going to move forward through it? And is this part one of an eight part thing you have imagined? And what, like, once you start to again, take, as you mentioned, ownership over the outcome, how will this help your business? Not only does it shift where you have more power and control as, as, as a creative or a salesperson or a business owner or what have you, Frankly, it, it differentiates you. You can you can charge more. You can work on bigger projects. You can have more control over your profit margins because again, you're moving away from that idea of just being an order taker. Yep. And your journey is really interesting. I didn't realize that when you started, you essentially utilize your corporate job. You know, you're working for somebody to now leverage this. You know, this company that you're creating, this freelance you know, situation that you set up by saying, "Hey, I'm going to continue to do the same work, but I want to be paid as an entity, as a as a separate company, as opposed to being your employee." But I assume that you probably had to get clients from outside of that as well. Was it hard to get people to take <laughs> you seriously as somebody who's just starting this new business? And, and how do you work around that? Yeah, that's why we almost went bankrupt. Because <laughs> I didn't realize I didn't realize anything. I thought like, again, I came from the world of like people needed videos and I'm going to make a video. And so I just walked around saying like, do you need a video? Company, do you need a video? Does anyone need a video? Hey. Does anyone need a video made? I'm the guy who can make one. Not realizing like no one, no one thinks that way. And so no. <laughs> uh, a few things went wrong. One, I'm so happy that everything went the way it did. Um, I don't think I would have had the courage to start Phantom Media without uh, that company and that CEO saying, yeah, okay, go and we'll outsource to you. But they didn't outsource to me, frankly. Like mm. we had, we had a bunch of projects in the work. We had worked with them to project how much money they would give us and how much they would spend. And let's say it was like 50 grand in projects for the year is what we anticipated. Something like we were three months in and only like four grand had happened. Almost, <laughs> almost everything. So the reason I left was because they did a lot of work they sh we shouldn't have been doing. And they were, sp they were spending quote unquote money. They were spending my salary, my, my time on stuff that didn't matter. I said, let me leave and it'll bring some structure around what we're working on because we're doing lots of stuff that doesn't matter. And as soon as there's a price tag put to it, your team's going to start to question whether we should do this or not. What I didn't realize is when we left, they questioned everything. <laughs> they questioned every project and cut every project. And they're like, oh, we don't want to spend um, money on any of this. They finally listened to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so it was really hard. And I was using family and friends and I was just trying to figure out what I could. But honestly, I didn't know how to explain what we did. I didn't understand the value. I didn't know who to reach out to or who to speak to. I didn't know how to speak to them. And so I had no marketing plan at the time. I had, I had, I had nothing. Like I just kind of jumped into it. And so five months in, uh, frankly, I was like, we were running out of money. 
because my wife didn't have any money. I didn't have any money. We, we borrowed like from my mom, um, like a $25,000 line of credit and we had some savings and we were just like eating it up. And so I hit this. You're starting a family and a business at the same time. Yeah, it was, it was a bit ambitious. (laughs) Actually by year two, by year two, uh, the government forced us onto social assistance because, because for a family of, of, of three, like a couple with a child and we were living so below the poverty line, our first year, I only made 18 grand. We lived Mm. so below the poverty line, even at that time in our city that the government put us on social assistance. And, um, it was like really tough, but I hired a coach. I hired a business coach because I was five months in and I could already see that we were going to run out of cash in about four or five months. And I was, it was just going to be like this one year blip. It was, it was literally going to turn into like, well, that didn't work out. And I didn't want that to happen. So I hired a coach and I just laid it all on the line. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I don't know any of this stuff. I don't need, I don't know what to do. And, um, we started on the basics, you know, who might pay you to make a video? What kind of companies, what kind of departments, what would be the difference between say like a communications department or an HR department or a marketing department? Like, like really basic stuff that I hadn't thought about. But um, I think many of us who jump into business hope that like people will do something and we'll be like, here we are world. I have arrived. I am here. Go ahead and start giving me money. And people are like this. (laughs) Cricket, cricket, cricket. Nobody cares. And so I was like, oh, I was really caught off guard thinking like, like people need videos. I make videos. I will sell videos. Um, and at a certain point, it actually became that easy. But it was after I'd figured out who am I speaking to and what do they care about and how do I explain it and how do I get in front of them and how do I advertise and, and what, you know, how do we package it and how do we price it? Like once I figured all that stuff out a few years in, it literally became as easy as you need something. We can do it for you. Let's get started. Um, but it took time. It sounds like, you know, in a lot of things I've read about the company and how you all work with uh, individuals and just how you've now defined who you all are, there's a lot of language around kind of overcoming imposter syndrome um, and not feeling like you are enough or can be enough for what you want to try to accomplish. What are some of the things that maybe you did for yourself in that area and, and also some of the things that you work with with your clients to help them overcome those same kind of, uh, those same kind of thoughts? Well, the, the, I mean, 15 years in, the person that I am and my approach to business is, is totally different than it would have been year one or even year five or even, frankly, two or three years ago. 2018, 2019, I'm a totally different entrepreneur than I was even then. And so part of it is just recognizing that every few years you're going to shift and you're going to change. Whether the market shifts and change, changes, your competitors do, or you choose to or you're forced to, it's going to happen. And I used to believe that it was this, I used to carry this feeling of like, why can't I just land on something? Why do I keep changing it and tweaking it and trying to make it better? Like, why can't I just pick something and stick with it and make my life easier? And I realized like, that's not how business works. It's always changing. It's something that always has to take place. The other thing that I learned kind of the hard way is a business will only grow to the level of its leader. And when the leader is either not feeling confident or not feeling bold, when the leader isn't hopeful of the future or optimistic of what could be, when the leader isn't pushing, frankly, harder than anyone else to go faster, to go further, to do that big thing, when the leader isn't doing that, um, no one else on your team will. But you also start to lose momentum. You start to lose your edge. You start to lose things. So 
when you talk about the work that we do today, uh, really at Phantom Media, we're, we're a brand strategy company. So we've taken the 15 years, uh, you know, over that time, we produced $13 million in creative content for some of the largest international brands, some of the coolest startups, some of the smallest companies. We've done a lot of work from like engagements that were like, hey, help us with an email marketing campaign to full-blown national television commercials where we're being like flown to the Caribbean and like, in, and we have like our own hold in the plane. And like, we're just, the, the project ranges so much, but, but we've looked at everything that we've done over 15 years at, at all of the millions of dollars of creative content we've produced. And it always came down to the same things. What we were really good at, better than others at, what we're really good at is just taking a no bullshit approach to like, what are the actual objectives? What do you actually want? Who are we speaking to? What do they actually care about? Like, what are their motivations? What are their desires? What are their fears? What are their preconceived notions? Are they skeptical or not skeptical? Are they operating from a risk aversion point of view or a place of hope and they want growth? What did they see before they came to you? What are they going to see after they come to you? Are they brand aware or not? Like, we ask a lot of questions and we dig really deep because these things matter. And so we're, we're better than anyone else at helping you figure out what you need and want, who your audiences are, and then what your competition is doing. And I realized that those three core elements, those three core elements, what you want, what your audience wants, and what your competition is or is not doing in the marketplace, that in itself is, is literally brand strategy. That's When we did a television commercial campaign, I had to work with, frankly, people sometimes who just didn't like, we want to do these 80 different things because we need to make every corporate person happy. And it's like, uh, okay. Well, which are the ones that actually matter, though? Because we can't possibly do all 80 of them. And I would, I would have to like narrow it down. Yeah. And your audiences, who do you want to speak to? And it's like, well, you know, like we're talking to people 55 plus. Okay, great. Like there's a lot of different people who are older than 55 years old, <laughs> right? Like what do they care about and what do they want? And what are their deepest desires? You know, we've done market, some like market research off the top of my head. Like for example, um, and I don't want to uh, be too generalist, but like as women get older, they tend to require security more. And, and as, a, as a woman ages, her focus on security tends to focus on like security and relationships, security and money, like in finance. Um, like there, there are things that as women get older, men don't experience. As men get older, they tend to actually care about security less because they want to relive their youth. And like, so, so like mm. we would like dig into these types of, of psychological and emotional and, and socioeconomic elements to bring them into our project. So once you do all of this stuff, you realize like, oh, if you can just help people figure out, like actually figure out what they want, actually figure out who they're talking to and what they want, like <laughs> just tell people what they want to hear. Like tell people what they want to hear. You will get their attention. They will become engaged. And then when they enter into a conversation with you, and if you do it in a way that your competition isn't doing it, you mm -hmm. will be unique. You will stand out. You will be different. You will tell people what they want to hear. They will go like their ears will open up. Their ears will perk up. They'll go, ooh, someone's telling me what I want. Politicians do this all the time. I don't know why we don't do this in business. <laughs> but then once you've entered in the conversation, then you can shift it from what they want and understand to what they need to hear, what you need to educate them on, what you need to inform them on, how you have to shift. But most business people are so principled that they go to market with what they know is right. Like, 
This is the right way to do this. This is the right way to go about it. This is what you don't understand. They get into arguments with people when they're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, that's our fault. Yes, we meet yep. people where they are at. We enter into a conversation with them. And then once they're in the conversation, we have uh, basically influence and authority, especially if you set this up properly, where you can then shift them to where they need to be and give them what they actually need, and what, not what they want. That is what I figured out that we've always done, what we continue to do. And that's why most of our language around imposter syndrome and around all these other things is because it's it's because we're, we're frankly, we're meeting the people we work with where they're at, which is if you look better, if you show up better, if you say the right things, if you have confidence, your business is going to take off. Trust me, like it's not rocket science. I've been through it <laughs> hundreds of times before. Well, and, you know, I think you you. You've said so many gems in there, but I think one of the the key things that you mentioned is, first of all, defining who your audience is and then understanding who that audience actually is at its core level. So, yes, you define now it's, you know, women between a certain age. Okay, now what are their sentiments? What is it the things that are present of mind for them on a daily basis? Let's not try to go against that. Let's try to lean right into how they're living their life or how they're thinking about the world and how can we position ourselves that they're going to you know, see us as being attractive to what they're trying to, you know, find within their life or to help define uh, maybe alternatives to what they are trying to find in their life. And I think as you're kind of talking about that, it made me think about, you know, the how we tell the story of our own companies and how we position ourselves to these audiences. But there's this fine line that I think, and I want to get your perspective on this, is there this fine line of giving this perception of your company, but still being truthful and honest that you're not over-exaggerating who you are. Because um, you don't want to end up in a situation where you're over-promising what your company can deliver on or who they actually are. So is there a delicate balance between perception versus reality? 100%. The, the problem is your greatest fear is what keeps it from being right-sized. You hmm. just said, I don't want to make really big promises because I'm worried that my perception will be higher than my ability to deliver. I want to be honest with you. We're all so worried about that, that what it creates is the opposite. We are actually way more awesome than we look. So, so perception is truth. Chris, if I think you're a jerk, it doesn't matter if you're a jerk or not. You're a jerk. Because <laughs> I only saw this little window of time. I, don't, I didn't see your relationships. I didn't see maybe how you are as a son or a sibling, or I didn't see you maybe in um, like a faith-based setting. Like I didn't see any of those pictures. I just saw you coming along being a jerk. So in my mind, you're a jerk. Perception is truth. Perception is truth. The problem is most of us are actually not bragging. We're not out there. We're not being bold enough. We're not saying enough. We're playing it so safe that we're actually way more awesome than we really are, than we, than we look. So, so our perception and how awesome we are is flipped from what you're saying. You're saying, I'm worried that I'm going to be so bold. I'm going to make such big promises. I'm going to come out swinging so hard with so much grit or so much flavor or so much attitude or looking so awesome that people are going to be like, oh, I have to work with this person. And then they're going to get going and they're going to be like, oh, oh gosh, you suck. That's imposter syndrome right there, right? Like that's, that's, that is the problem with personal brands for sure and mm -hmm. entrepreneurial, small business, owner-operated type brands. 100%. This is why people work with us because we actually give them the, the, the data and the insight and the information to, to make them feel confident enough to make bold actions when frankly, we don't even need that. Like, like I don't need to go out and find the data to make you confident, but I do because if I just said be confident, 
you wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so we yeah, that it's, it's exactly flipped. I like that. I like that a lot. And I'm glad I asked the question the way I did now because, yeah, I really love that response. And I think, to your point, I think a lot of us think in that way of, yeah, we don't want to, because we're always taught to over uh, underpromise and over deliver and not the opposite way around. And I think a lot of times that sticks us into that fear of overpromising. But but this is this is a really interesting point. Yeah. And and I, I bump up against this all day, every day, which is why I can speak so intimately to it. I, I bump up against this as an owner of my own company and when I'm working with people through their brand strategy process. And here's the problem. We think in terms of operations, right? So we think in terms of, sys- maybe not systems, but what am I going to make or what am I going to offer and how am I going to do it and how does it priced and what does it give them and who's going to deliver it and what team members do I need? And we think in terms of that. And then we know on the other side, we need sales and marketing. But, but in most cases, sales and marketing is kind of secondary to like building the system, building the, you know, I, I got to build the iPhone so that way I can sell the iPhone, right? I got to build the, the, the process or my new program or, or whatever I'm selling. I need to do it so that way I can sell it and market it. A business's job is, is to make money and help people. Right? Like a business's job is to make the owners money. The shareholders need money. Like that's the purpose of a business and to help people. It's not to create something and then hope people want it or whatever. Like you got to make money <laughs> and you got to help people. So yep. this, is, this is a really important flip though, right? Frankly, your product and service should be whatever it needs to be to live up to the promises you make during sales. It's not marketing or advertising or sales department's job to dumb down the offer, right? Like to make it less bold, to make it less compelling, to make it less interesting, right? It's not our job to dumb it down because the people who are in charge of operations, and this may all be you, like you may be a small business and you might have Mm -hmm. to do everything. But if you put on a hat, a sales and marketing hat, and then you take that off and you put on a delivery hat or an operations hat, right? It's not sales and marketing's job to make bland, dull, promises because operations is afraid to deliver against those promises. No, 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 no. Your whole business success, what took me five years to figure out, what allowed me to build a multi-million dollar company, what allows me to be successful even when we have really bad years is I know this. It's my job to come up with something that people want. It's my job to make bold promises. It's my job to sell. It's my job to advertise. It's my job to make this thing so freaking awesome that people want it. Now, I turn to my operations team. I turn to my delivery team. I put on my systems and process hat and I go, oh no, I just made all these huge promises. Um, Okay, how do we do that? And then once we figure out how we do that, and, and yep. like once we figure that out, we have a product, we have a service, we have a business that's going to do really, really well. Because it's, it's, it's operations job, it's delivery's job to live up to the promises of marketing, not marketing's job to dumb everything down just to make everyone's life easier. The podcast that I've really been enjoying lately, uh, We Do Hard Things, and in that podcast, through the people that you're talking to, but even as you're talking about your own journey, there's a lot of talk too around 
not feeling enough as a person. And I know just even looking at your corporate website, like you talk about how personally you wake up every morning and feel like you're not doing enough or you ha- you're not going to be able to accomplish the goals that you want to get to. And I very much understand that from that own same perspective. Like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and just like, oh my God, I need to do these 20 other things to make our company successful or to get to where we want to be. And as we talked about before, our industries, no matter what industry you're in, they're quickly evolving. Technology is always evolving. So there's always going to be new ideas and new things that you feel like you're not doing. But how do you now take that energy and use it as motivation and not allow it to paralyze you into inaction? (laughs) Uh. What's what's your advice, man? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I know me personally, it's just I have a, a internal fear of like, I don't ever want to I have the internal fear of looking back later in life and saying I didn't do enough. And so I will probably try to do, you know, I'll, I'll probably do too much in the moment. So, yeah, I guess my yeah. own personal fear of regret is what keeps me from inaction. Because I know uh, that that's my big fear. And so that motivates me. Not saying that, that that's a healthy thing. I'm just yeah, saying that yeah, that yeah. is how it works for me. I love that. Um, so so I've, this, is, this is the number one thing that I've really been working on for the last two years. So for the last two years, it's, uh, I focused too much on achievement early in my career. Mm-hmm. right? Like, like getting a bigger team. I, like I do everything. Everything revenue-wise, everything I want, I just want people. Like I spent all my money on people. Because honestly, I'm really afraid that I will not be enough, right? Like, like my, we're all, all of it. If we went to Brene Brown, she would say all of our greatest fears are that we're not enough and then we won't be loved. But my version of not enough is like, okay, um, I can't find people who can deliver what I need them to deliver or work with the way I need them to work with. Or if I do, when I really need them, they won't be there for me. And if they're not there for me, I have to do it. And if I have to do it and I'm not good enough, I'm going to let everyone down or I'm going to fail. If I let everyone down and fail, then like, what then? Like, I'm just, it just proves in my, that, that voice of doubt in my head that says, Mark, you're not good enough. I've just proved it right. So if we back that up to like, okay, well, what is my real issue? My real issue is like, I don't really trust people or I'm worried they won't be there to help me when I need them to help me. But it's all back to achievement, like achievement, 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 right? If I have the team, then I'll be happy. If I, if I can break a million revenue, then I'll be happy. If I can break two million revenue, I'll be happy. If I can earn, you know, an extra quarter million profit, then I can spend it and be happy. Or like, it's just achievement. And there's no way to, to win that long term because you could put together great quarters, you could put together great years, but eventually you're going to have a setback. You're going to have a great recession. There was a time during the Great Recession, 2009, where there was a three-month period, I think it was two, three months, where we had zero projects, zero revenue. I had to let everyone go. Now, let's say I was really focused again on achievement and now we have nothing to work on. Or when the pandemic hit, we had hundreds of thousands of dollars of projects get put on hold immediately. Like, like March 12th, oh, what's going on? March 13th, the Friday, I suddenly had a home. The next like Monday, like everything got put on hold. It was like every single project. Then what? What do I do if I'm not the successful entrepreneur? And so I've spent the last two years actually trying to realize that, um, and, and I don't quite have a perfect answer, but it's not about the outcome for me anymore. It's not about the achievement. It's now about the effort I put in. So, you know, I spent a lot of time on my health and a year ago I did this challenge that was an achievement challenge. At, at 38 years old, I spent four months on this really strict program for nutrition and diet. I cut a lot of weight 
Um, and I got to like 13% body fat because I wanted to have like six pack abs. That was the challenge. Like, can you have six pack abs at 38, never having really been fitter? I saw that, saw that video on your website. <laughs> Chunk down challenge. Yeah. That was an achievement challenge. It made me feel really good. Like, like it made me feel really good, really confident, really proud. And it was amazing. I was like, I was amazed at what I did, at what I'm capable of. But the last year has actually been harder than probably the year before that for my health. Because even though I'm healthier than I frankly have ever been, I'm not as lean as I was then. So, so get this, right? Like I'm, I'm now working out more and I'm healthier and I actually probably look better to those around me. But in my head, the achievement is tied to how lean I am. And because I'm no longer lean, I'm about 15 to 20 pounds heavier than I was then, even though 12 pounds of that is muscle. And even though like I can list all the benefits, I, I, I had a high point achievement. And now in my mind, I'm below that. And so even though I have more, I feel worse about it. That's the problem we all have. And so the only answer is like, is to focus on effort and not the outcome. Right? This is why people say when you start a business, you got to pick something you love because it's got to be something that you're going to be able to do on the days that you don't love it or yeah. that you're going to come back to or that you're not going to give up on. You got to just keep focusing on it because if it's not something you love, when, when, when you're focused on the achievement and that achievement that you thought would take a year turns into eight years, are you going to give eight years to this thing? Only if you love it. But if you focus on the effort, right? If you focus on the effort, when I'm on the treadmill, I could, the treadmills only go to 12, 12 miles, like 12 miles per hour, right? A, a six, the treadmills I go to, they go to 12, 12 miles per hour. I can run at 12, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds a minute. I can run at 12. It's really, really hard for me, but they don't go to 13. So now what do I do? Like once you hit that level where you're like, great, I hit that. Then what do you focus on? Mm -hmm. right? If you focus on effort, right? My back is, is killing me. I've been... <laughs> I, I accidentally joined a, a challenge that I didn't realize was going to be this hard. It was, it's, it's, a, it's like a running challenge for the month of August. And I run five times a week. I thought that was enough. It turns out that the people I'm competing with decided they're going to run every day. I don't run every oh, day. Wow. I don't like running every no, day. No, you might need some kind of recovery. Day. Yeah. But because my competitors are running every day, now I feel like I got to run every day. So, yep. so like I am in so much pain right now, even standing here talking to you because this morning I was there on the treadmill. And my coach is like, you got to take a day off. And I was like, in September, <laughs> I'm not yeah. taking a day off till this challenge is done. <laughs> but I had to drop my numbers. I had to run slower. I was still there. I was still running. But I know that every minute that goes by, my competition's pulling further and further ahead because I have to run slower. But what are my alternatives? Like either I run really fast today and then suddenly now I cannot make the rest of the month. Correct. Or, or I focus on my effort. And I say, Mark, you know, your back hurts, your glute hurts, you're struggling to run, but you're showing up. Yeah, you would normally run this at an eight or a nine miles per hour. You're running it at a seven. You, you know, you, your competition got 2.8 miles today. You got 2.67. That's not bad considering how, how, how much pain you're in. There's 15 days left in the month. What are you going to do to be able to show up for the next 15 days? Right? Like that shift from achievement where I would have felt bad because now I have to run slow because of this and all these things to effort in life, in business, in relationships. This is the only way that I've found to be able to stay sane for the long term. And to stay sane for the long term is what leads to success. It's not 
the manic up and then the depressed down. It's not the like, I'm going to go hardcore for a few weeks and then take a few months off. It's that sustained compounding month over month, year over year that leads to really remarkable successes. And I'm learning that that comes from just like (laughs) focusing on the effort. Well, the the workout part is a great analogy. And it also touches on not comparing like now bringing this back to the business side too, is not comparing yourself to other companies all the time. You know, these other companies have might have other resources, maybe they've been at this longer, you know, maybe they're having their big ebb. And you know, they had just I mean, they're having their big, you know, their big moment in the sun right now that you're you know, maybe saying that you're not on that same level of achievement, but maybe last month or last year, they were having the worst year of their life and they were about to go under. You don't know these things, but when we're constantly comparing know, ourselves eh? to others, we forget about our own journey and sometimes maybe diminish what we've already been through or where we're going. And I think that analogy you said hits on that as well. Like, yeah, we need to think about our own journey and what, how can we pace ourselves to make sure that we don't burn out? We can finish this, you know, this competition that's going to go through the month of August, which by the way, best of luck to you. Get get some <laughs> yoga in or something. Uh, uh, you know, hopefully you got like a little lumbar support there for yourself. <laughs> I'm just moving, just moving. Um, let me ask you, do you Chris, 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 do you have kids? I do not. Uh, and it, I like to always say it's very intentional because my my team is is my kids. And it's always kind of been that way. Even when I used to work at other companies, I just feel like I have a lot of kids that are my employees. That's that's an amazing response. I actually love that response better than if you're just like, nope. But um, and, and the reason I ask is for anyone who's listening, if, if you have a team, if you have kids, if you have a younger sibling, if you have cousins, like no matter your age or where you're at, here's the most helpful thing that I've been able to find. Whenever you face any situation, good, bad, tough, a hard day, no matter what it is, imagine your kids, your cousin, your siblings, your team members, imagine them coming to you with this and them saying like, oh my goodness, I'm such an idiot or this happened or what would be the first thing you would tell them? You'd say, listen, it's okay. It's okay. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's not, that's not great. Oh, you did that, that kind of, yeah, that's kind of embarrassing or that kind of sucks or I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And then you would, you would say like, but how were you to know? Or, or like you, you, you know, you did the best you could or, or at least you tried or, you know, you, you had no idea that they were going to come along and do that. Like you would, you would help them frame it in a way where it's like, let's see the big picture here. Yeah, right? Not everything like, is in your control. Yep. No, no. And it's so clear to you. Like the reason I ask about kids is I got four kids and, and every time that I imagine myself talking to my kids with my own problems, if you follow along that logic, right? Like I, I bring myself my problems and then I go like, Hey, I'm, I'm my son. If my son were saying this to me, what would I tell him? And I would just be so understanding and so forgiving. But when it's myself, it's Hmm. like, I'm just so hard on myself. And the opposite is true on the advice side too. Like, like, like I think I let a lot of stuff fly that I wouldn't let my son get away with. Hmm. Where I'd be like, well, what do you mean? You're tired. You didn't, you didn't do all your chores. I don't care if you're tired or not. You didn't do your chores. You have to do these things, right? Or like, I, I know you're like my son. If I know you're afraid, pick up the phone and call them. Yeah, but I don't know. Just, just do it. Just do it. Pick, I'm not going to listen to your excuses. Just go ahead and do it, right? So, so this shift is actually to answer your earlier question about like getting over the achievement and focusing on the effort and all these things and that you are enough. The greatest game I've started playing with myself that actually helps me more than anything else to give me peace and, and comfort and grace 
when I'm feeling stressed, when I'm feeling behind, when I'm feeling like when I'm running out of time or I'm a perfectionist is I just say, what would I tell someone like one of my kids if they came to me with this? And then I just listen. I just listen and I go, Mark, it's okay. Yeah, that was embarrassing or that sucked or you could have <laughs> done better or you should push harder or what do, why are you making excuses? It's okay. You're okay. And then I can just breathe a little more and then the answers come and then the creativity comes, then the next steps come, then everything comes. It just works out when you're not in that like stressful mode all the time. Yeah. I'm definitely going to use that practice because, yeah, that, that's something that I know myself and other entrepreneurs I talk to. Like we always, as the saying goes, we're our, our, we are our own worst critics a lot of times. And, you know, like you said, the advice that we give ourselves isn't necessarily the advice that we would give somebody else if we're trying to be compassionate. We need to be compassionate with ourselves and the way that we are with others. And you frame things that now makes me, you know, hard for me to try to figure out the best way to frame this next question, which is like, it's not about achievement necessarily anymore, but I want to still, you know, let's celebrate the wins that you're seeing. And so wins can be however you define that. So like, what are the things that are going well right now? Well, we have this new product called Core 3. I, earlier, I explained, uh, I explained how there's three core components, right? You, what you want, and what the audience or the targets or the prospects or the customers want, and then what your competition or market's doing, those core three areas. We have a brand new product, this brand strategy that we've tailored specifically for coaches and consultants and entrepreneurs. So anyone with a personal brand or a corporate brand that they're kind of in charge of. And we've taken, we've gone back through, again, the 15 years, the, 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 the $10 million plus of creative content. We looked at what actually, what actually led to a successful brand for successful advertising and marketing and sales. Because in my point of view, brand isn't just like, is it a logo? Yeah. It, a logo is part of it, but it's not it. And colors are part of it, but not it. And fonts are, but not it. But, but more importantly, like, like how, how you show up, what you say, how you make people feel, that is a brand. And so we help with, with people figuring out like, um, what makes you unique and differentiate you and sales messaging and, um, and positioning and how you need to look and how you need to make people feel. And we do all this stuff. But the real win is like for the first time ever, um, I've spent, gosh, I think we've spent about six months really working through this process. So like, it's something I've done for years and we've done just so many times, but we, we've tailored it now. And rather than just go to market and say like, here it is, uh, I reached out to all of my friends and I, and I started talking to them about the project, about the process and how it works. And I got their feedback without selling them on anything. And then we started going to conferences and talking about it. Then we started uh, doing live webinars and talking about it. We've just talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And it's the most amazing thing because, because every time we do, uh, I learn something new. <laughs> and so uh, I don't know if every other person does things this way. I never launched a product this way. Like I'm a like, let's launch and figure it out later kind of guy. Um, <laughs> but, but we spent six months and we've spoken to hundreds of people about this and we've taken them through the process and tailored it in different ways just to be able to say like, this is amazing. And as soon as I stopped getting people going like, huh, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm a little confused. And people started going, holy smokes. Uh, I've never heard anyone talk about this this way. I was like, let's make it public. You're on it. <laughs> yep. You're on so I have, um, I'd, I'd love to offer you or even your audience. I have a free uh, 40 page plus uh, playbook. We call it the, the badass branding playbook. It breaks down our entire process. 
Now, this is a process. If, if we do your process for you, it's typically between 30 and 50 grand. Uh, this 40-page playbook literally gives you all of our SOPs, like so all of our standard operating procedures, all of the tools that we use. It like breaks down all of our things. It explains literally how you can do this yourself. So if, if you or your audience wants a copy of it, they can DM me. But I'm, I'm most excited about sharing it because it's not like um, some like lead magnet or something where it's like, ooh, I'm going to capture your email account or anything. Like it's, it's, I know how powerful this is. I want to get this into people's hands. And so that's what I'm most excited about. Oh, well, thank you. I'm definitely going to use it. I'm going to make sure that everywhere that this video lives, where the podcast is, we're going to have that in the description. So if you're watching this, listening to this, go to our description, our show notes. Uh, you can get a link to, to get over to that. I really appreciate yeah, and, you offering that to us here. Go on to Instagram and DM me and, and just say like that badass thing. I want that badass thing. And the reason I say that is because I don't even have a funnel set up for this yet. <laughs> like it's like there's no there's no affiliate link or like like DM me and I will send you personally the you link. You can't get any more personal than that. <laughs> well, I guess your phone number, but we are, we're not doing that out here. We're not uh, getting that out yet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Mark, I really appreciate it. And that actually leads into, yeah, how can people follow you on social media, reach out to you, DM you to get this kind of information? And also where can they find your businesses and stay up to date with them as well? Sure. So if you head over to Instagram at Mark Drager, that's D-R-A-G-E-R, you can find me there. If you want to check out the podcast that Chris referenced a few times, it's called We Do Hard Things. Uh, you can find it on so any good. kind of pod. <laughs> you can find it on any kind of podcast app, but the best place is YouTube because it's it is a YouTube series. First, uh, we put a lot of heart and effort into it, and we have remarkable guests. We've been able to connect with Les Brown and. Uh, and Lisa Billu, and we've had Stanford University professors on talking about all, all kinds of cool things. And um, I had Tony Horton, the founder of P90X on, and um, and uh, Charlie Borman, Ewan McGregor's best friend. They rode around the world together on motorcycles a whole bunch of times. And so um, it's an amazing show. And uh, if, if I do say so myself. <laughs> oh, it really is. If you enjoy this podcast, you're going to enjoy this one even more. Like you guys go so in depth, like the Lisa Bill you one was so good. And just you all talked about a lot of the things that I love to talk about, which is like, I don't look at failure as failure. I look at it as a, as a means to learn and be able to now move ahead with this lesson that I learned. And so I think you learn some of your best lessons from failure, but also you guys talk about sometimes it's almost bad when you don't fail. If you have too much success, you, you don't have that like fire underneath you to take things to the next level. So anyway, really great conversation you had with her, but every conversation you have on that podcast is just, is great. So yeah, I, I, make sure you all check that out after you listen to this episode. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I kind of cut you off. Were there any other places that people can get, uh, you know, find out about the business? I don't know if you threw out the uh, website for Fanta Media. Yeah. If you want, if you want to check us out, Fanta.com, that's P-H-A-N-T-A, Fanta.com. And uh, you can learn all about us over there. I don't, I don't like to do big corporate pitches. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for the platform. Thank you for what you're doing. And if you're listening to this and you haven't sent Chris a DM or rated and reviewed the podcast or any of that stuff, now he, he, may, not, he may say it or he may not say it at the end, but I'm just going to, as a podcaster myself, this is my, I've been doing this for seven or eight years. You don't realize that the, the, the only thing that keeps me motivated is when I get those random messages. When I get those random messages from listeners or from people who are like, this was interesting or this helped me. Or if I have people walk up to me, it's actually worse in real life. They walk to me, oh, I was listening to your podcast. I go, oh, no, were you really? But, <laughs> but <laughs> if you've not sent Chris a personal message, do it because this is an amazing platform and he's hustling hard to get the content out to you. <laughs>
Thank you, Mark Drager, for joining us on Entrepreneur Struggle. And thank you for listening. You can learn more about Mark's company by going to our show notes. And don't forget, DM him on social media for that very special offer that he gave us. Thank you to my producers, Heather Johnson, Ryan Woodhall, and Mike DuBose. And until next episode, stay safe and healthy because the struggle is real. Thank you.